the funny part, and I don't know if you even catch yourself, but uh, just the accent is, uh, we talked about it when we did our pre-chat, just hearing that Italian. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching for your hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to keep them below the table right now because uh, I certainly the hand gestures is something that I've picked up. Um, oh, awesome. the, I think I I'm speaking slower and maybe pronunciating <laughs> words more, which uh, you need to call me on. Hey folks, Gavin Roth here with another episode of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, sponsored by Homestand Sports, authentically connecting iGaming brands with sports fans wherever they are. For more, visit homestandsports.com. For this episode, we head across the pond to Italy, more specifically to beautiful Turin, and even more specifically, to the headquarters of iconic Juventus Football Club. I caught up with their Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, Mike Armstrong, a good Canadian lad who was recruited by the organization two years ago. Mike's career path is super impressive with marketing and strategy roles at leading brands like Kraft, Anheuser-Busch InBev, CBC, Google, and Overactive Media Group. We cover lots of ground in our chat, including that career path, what motivated it, and highlights along the way. Some of the folks who mentored and supported him. What led to the incredible new opportunity with Juventus and how that decision was made. Working in a new culture, learning a new language, speaking with his hands. Of course, we lean in on Mike's mandate at Juventus and how attracting fans to football today differs from previous eras. On that note, Mike shares insights into the newly developed Juventus Creative Lab and some of the cool content that's coming out of it. Mike also speaks about some of the innovative new content ventures that have caught his eye, including the work Dan Porter is doing at Overtime and Julie Ehrman at Angel City FC, plus partnerships he's noticed with fellow European football giants, PSG and FC Barcelona. And we wrap with terrific professional development advice. You'll leave informed and inspired. I hope you enjoy. And for more episodes of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, follow me on LinkedIn, visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or check out RothRevenue.com. I can't thank you enough. Um, it's it's so cool, uh, Mike, to be uh, talking to you uh, where you're situated right now. It's just, it's just to me, it's, yeah, it's, it's just that it's cool. You're, you're in now, do we say Turin, Torino? What's, what's the official word? I know it goes both ways. Now nah, you could say Turin or Torino, whichever. Yeah. It's, uh, Italians and, will say Torino, uh, yeah. North Americans will say Turin. And, and, and the funny part, and I don't know if you even catch yourself, but uh, just, the accent is, uh, we talked about it when we did our pre-chat, just hearing that Italian, <laughs> I'm, watching, I'm watching for your hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep them below the table right now because uh, I certainly the hand gestures is something that I've picked up. Um, oh, awesome. the, I think I, I'm speaking slower and maybe pronunciating <laughs> words more, which uh, you oh, need to call so me good. on. <laughs> so good. You know, I, I, I uh, it resonates with me. Uh, it, it, it's cheating a bit, but I, I was born 
somewhere else. I was born in South Africa, but I, we we came in '76 as a as a family, and we used to gather around a tape recorder and and send tape recordings tapes back to the family in South Africa. And uh, our first recording was was October of '76. We dug these up a while ago. It was fantastic. And there's uh, my two sisters, me. I was seven. My folks, all thick South African accents. In April of '77, we did our second tape. It's it's four accents, four South African accents, and Gavin, who's like Canadian. Like <laughs> I, I lost it. Um, it was you know socializing like crazy, but I wanted to fit in, and uh, I you couldn't detect anything. And I often talk about that accent game. And, you know, my wife was born there. She came when she's 18. She has, you can't tell she was born there until she talks to a South African and it comes back, That's you know. Cool. So I'm just fascinated by how people adopt or fight or <laughs> the accent game. Yeah, I guess it's either I um, change how I speak English or learn Italian tremendously fast. <laughs> It suits one or the other. Otherwise, How are you, um, by the way, on your learning? My Italian? comprehension, my comprehension's not not bad. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty good. And then um, I can speak for the grocery store, the cafe, the the shops, the markets. Uh, going to a restaurant, I can I can speak fine. The uh, business business executive meetings, solo Italiano, where everybody's going full speed with different accents from around Italy those are really difficult for me so i i often it cheat a little bit and i have like a, a google translate going and i'm i'm listening and then learning from the translate where i where i miss a step but it's uh it's tough to learn a latin language at 40 when you don't have any base like i don't have a french or a spanish and right i and i also was not good at language even english when i was younger <laughs> so so for me it's difficult and the and the the mind the brain is either wired to be able to do it or not and yeah. uh, i'm so envious of what you're doing and 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 uh so much respect for what you're doing to you know we'll get into it but but you know moving across the pond and at the stage and embracing a, an exciting opportunity in a, a you know different land although you picked a good one you picked a good one you know Italy ain't, ain't too bad a place and so anyway um amazing career journey some some tier one package goods brands um, and then you got into this whole world of sports entertainment uh, media um you know you you've touched it all with craft Labatt, Google, you know, overactive, and then you're here. So maybe just talk about what what led you into the kind of the career path you chose, and then how, you know, just talk about some of the highlights along that fascinating journey, and we'll then spend some time, obviously, on Juventus. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'll um I'll try to aggregate a little bit, and then you tell me if you want to go deeper for you or the listeners on on any area. I'd say if you look at my career, it's, uh, as you said, I mean, one part consumer packaged goods, one part ad agency at the start, one part media, I'd say, call it 
traditional and new. And then now I'm, I'm fully into sports and entertainment. Um, I know sometimes your, your listeners are, um, are also maybe university graduates. And so maybe I'll even start there. Uh, so I graduated from a uh, university of, of Toronto. I wouldn't say I had uh, the top grades, but I, I did okay. When I came out, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I was a bit lost when I came out. Um, and I had no, no network. I mean, I, I didn't have the, the, the family introduction to somebody. I didn't have the, the pass card that got my resume on the top of the file. I, I had no, no network when I came out. Um, I'd say looking back at the time, I knew what my strengths were and where I was also weak. And so I tried to build a start of a career where I thought that I could be strong. And so for me at the time, I was like very entrepreneurial. I, I, I built my own business in high school and was getting government grants. And, uh, and so for me, I was an entrepreneurial spirit. I was a jock, but I was also naturally, uh, I, I had it easy on math. Like I would do these Waterloo math exams for fun as like a competitive challenge. I was a bit of a, a hidden geek in that way. Um, but then also I grew up with my grandfather who was very much into the arts. And so I also like, I painted, I played multiple instruments. And so for me, when I started out, I kind of thought, okay, how do I merge this idea of entrepreneurship and then math and science with art and advertising for me was, was like that place. And to this day, I'm still very impressed with the people in the ad industries that have to be creative, like nonstop all day long, every day. It's, it's, it's a tough, tough um, industry to work in. Um, so I started there. I, um, uh, was, I'd say fortunate at the time to, uh, get scouted by one of my clients. <laughs> and so, um, while I was at McLaren McCann, I, um, uh, working within the momentum group, I, uh, transitioned to Kraft Foods and the introduction there was Jim Kozak, who I know that, you know, and <laughs> I think he's, he's Stand done on. Uh, one of your podcasts. Um, and Jim really gave me a, a chance coming from the ad agency side to, to, to client side and, uh, and the projects that I was working on was, was amazing. I mean, it was a uh, craft hockeyville early days. Uh, it was, um, we were the ones that originally helped build a craft celebration tour, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it was a partnership. Oh, yeah. with well, I always chuckle with programs like that, that have become fairly iconic hockeyville celebration tour. How many people you bump into like you know i know you worked at the other guys but bolson and i am canadian how many people take credit for creating these okay. things you know yeah. it's it's over the years more and more people seem to have created yeah. celebration tour in hockeyville that's the it's case. nice to talk to the people who are in on the inside i caught up yeah. with jack hewitt not long ago as well so yeah yeah, I mean, I uh, let's be be straight. I I'm taking zero credit for those programs. No, but no, I was, no. I was in there. At the, I was in there. I at just the chuckle board. when it comes up. And uh, and I mean, those were amazing community uh, events and programs where, on a professional level and then personal. I mean, I got to see also an amazing amount of Canada, like small towns that oh. uh, you would never imagine you'd visit. I mean, I saw a ton of Canada uh as a craft spokesperson and so both on the professional side and uh on a personal level it was what a very rewarding experience in, in that what would you have been doing in those visits to those those communities yeah so i was uh, at the time looking after corporate marketing so uh when we went to those communities it was um how do we represent uh, craft in those communities it was working with the local uh, grocers 
making sure that uh, craft brands and the the brands within the company had presence at activations that we did on site. So whether it's events or working with uh, the folks at TSN, um, often there was some form of check involved at these events. And so like the guy who the carried the check. check was often in my backpack, uh, <laughs> which I wouldn't tell people. But um, but yeah, it was a it was a great start for me. Uh, I'd say client side working with first uh, Jim Kozak, uh, Jack of course was within that group uh, for a short time. Julian Franklin, who's now at uh, yeah. MSC, uh, and then I I had a moment to to shift into I'd say more more line marketing or traditional brand marketing. And so when Kraft acquired uh, Cadbury, spun off into Mondelez, I moved into the confectionery side, uh, overseeing um, brands. And so that's when I got into um, Stride Gum, Dentine. And so I was, for the first time, really overseeing a, a brand. And the, the wonderful thing, especially at that time with being a brand marketer, was you just got so much ownership and experience at a really young age. I mean, you're you're overseeing the the PL, the promotional plan, the innovation pipeline, Such the, great grounding. the promotion, the advertising. Uh, I mean, now it's split up a bit more into almost like a special team sport, but then you, you got oversight over, over all of it. And so it was an amazing learning opportunity. Um, while I was there, I um, had a, a moment or a, I'd say a, an opportunity to jump to Labatt. And so as a guy in my, my 20s working in uh, marketing and beer for, for probably obvious reasons, that was... Uh, was a, a something no that I, I needed to needed to take. Um, I started on the import portfolio, and so I was working on Stella Artois, Hugarden, Lefe, but also Kraft in the very very early days before it like really took off. And so the Goose Island brand was one that we we had uh, that I worked on bringing it to Canada. And then after that, I moved to the Budweiser business, uh, and that was Heard at the it? time the the biggest. Uh, beer brand in Canada. I mean, it was number one market share. And um, I'll never forget the um, the guy who who hired me at the time was a guy by the name of Jorn Soket. And he went on to um, run um, some of the biggest beer marketing budgets in the world, a fantastic leader, really dynamic guy. And when he first told me that I was going to be working on Budweiser, all he did was he pulled me into an office and he said, okay, Mike, you're flying close to the sun now. So don't <laughs> F it up. <laughs> I'll say F it up because I don't know if uh, F bombs no, you are can. allowed on the podcast. Don't, don't, don't fuck it but, up. Um, but that's it. And then he left me in the room by myself to my to my uh, my thoughts and uh, and closed the door. And that was it. And that stuck with me because, you know, he really reminded me that if you work on Budweiser in that company, that, um, I mean, you... Huge responsibility and privilege. You influence, yeah, you influence the results of the company. Uh, and so... So um, you contribute to, to everybody's success. Um, and amazing, so- Amazing opportunity, eh? Yeah, and, and ABI at, at the time um, was, in my opinion, really far ahead on the analytics side of marketing. And so um, when you join Labatt in those days, the first thing as a marketer you're getting trade in, trained in is Six Sigma. I mean, I was doing regression analysis oh. as a brand marketer Taking me back to university, yeah. In uh, 2000 and, uh, 2011, 2010. And so this notion today that everybody speaks about marketing being art and science, I mean, ABI was doing that years ago. Uh, and so they really pushed and trained me a lot on 
the the math and the science side of marketing. Uh, when at the time a lot of people were dropping a million on a TV commercial and then like praying <laughs> that afterwards the research would show that it was successful. Um, Labatt was very scientific about their approach, and so um, I'd say I learned a lot uh, from that company on uh, on that side of marketing. And and would you have uh, in those roles at Kraft and Labatt been closely tied to your agency partners, uh, or did uh, others in the group uh, manage that? Because I know when it comes to buying your media or or developing your creative, that's that relies on a a solid and and brands like Kraft and Labatt, you know, could afford to work with the best and the brightest in the agency world. Yeah, absolutely. You, were you hands on with that? Yeah, as well? yeah, absolutely. We 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 had to be, and we put a lot of trust in the agencies at both companies, and so uh, absolutely, uh, which was a great experience also for me to continue to to learn from the agency side, being someone was that it APL uh, Amirati? That used to be there. Yeah, a- who was AP. Amirati Puris? No. Who was at Labatt's agency that was at? We, were, we yeah. were working a lot with Anomaly at the time. Got it. Uh, and um, they were doing a lot of the, the red light campaign and uh, a lot of oh, the, yeah. the campaigns Iconic. that are maybe more recent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were Anomaly. there when the red light yeah. campaign yeah. Yeah. came out. That's uh, yeah. I've talked a lot about that in kind of marketing best practices about just being innovative and using technology, right? To to engage the consumer uh, what a what a great uh, what a great innovation yeah and then while i was there i i'd say i had a moment to reunite with an old boss and, and mentor jim kozak and um he he had joined cbc uh, and cbc at that moment was going through a transitionary period that you would you would know well it, it had lost the hockey rights it was i'd say humbly trying to define like who it was and what its important was importance was and um uh, jim needed someone to somebody to come in and help uh rebuild restructure the the team uh work on the economics of sport within cbc help um uh, modernize the approach uh, and so i i took a chance to work with jim a second time and uh and joined cbc um, and, uh, at, I remember joining and at the time, I think the reaction from people was like, what are you doing here? I mean, uh, <laughs> I've had that. Uh, uh, why, uh, CBC was in a tough moment and going from why did, that, why yeah, did you come? Laser. And, uh, and for me at the time, it was just, uh, I grew up watching CBC sports. I mean, all the time, it was a, a brand that I was passionate about. I didn't really like to see it in the the state that it was at the time. And I thought I could be someone that could come in and help contribute to wow. like the turnaround or the definition of where it should be. And so I was there um, for the the Pan Am and then the lead up to the Rio Olympics, uh, the the building of the Road to the Olympic Games, um, shoulder content and shoulder property was something that we built while I was there. And then of course, training ground, which I'm sure is another property you've heard a lot of people talk about that was built uh, while I was there. Uh, working with, uh, of course, the um, the COC and others. Um, so, um, RBC. so, yeah. Is that, sorry, is that RBC's training ground, or is that a different yeah. training? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they it was, came in uh, and kind of took took part. Yeah, we sat uh, with them, and then and then the uh, the Olympic Committee, and uh, and I mean, together the the program was was born. Oh, and still so churning going. out churning out Olympic medalists. 
Yeah, well, I remember going to the first first one and two and just like uh, seeing these talent that were misidentified and yeah. how, um, you know, in Canada, especially often people get maybe pigeonholed into hockey because that's the national sport when they've got the the arm or the wingspan to be a swimmer or maybe the body type to be uh, really strong at rowing. And uh, yeah, they would never let me in the door. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was amazing to to go to those first events and see um, like coaches discover like these uh, these diamonds that they didn't know about, and that was like in the first year. And so I'm sure I'm I'm I haven't been in in years, but I'm I'm sure that now it's just that much more sophisticated. And so it was an interesting program to work on from from the start. And you know what it makes me think of is is you talked about you know what are you doing going in? I had that when I left WWE to go to the CFL, everybody's going this, this global powerhouse brand to go to the CFL, especially a Toronto lens, people would, would look at it. And I, I said, there's always a reason. And I love the idea of working at a, a homegrown Canadian owned and operated, you know, hundred year old business. There's something special about that but what i think about with your story is people right you you mentioned jim and uh, i've made decisions in my career to go work with the people and that is such an important part of why we do what we do isn't it yeah i think especially when you're on a build project let's just say the people are everything and uh, with jim i knew i'd work with him before so the trust was there Adam Mitchell also uh, joined uh, soon after I did, and him yeah. and I had worked together before. And that's what and led so, us to connect, right? You, yeah. you weighed in on his podcast, and and when I saw your name, I said, oh, my goodness, that's uh, I sold Adam. That's he's a guy I need to get on. So um, so Adam was there, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, and so we we I mean we were able to at the start we were few. And again, the reaction was, what, what are you guys doing here? But uh, I'd say uh, we had a we had a good run while we were there and uh, and a lot of fun while we awesome. were, were building. Um, and then, I mean, sometimes uh, for me, I'd say a lot of times you get you get lucky. And I mean, while I was there, I, I got a call from from Google. Uh, Google was looking to hire a very unique role. Uh, it was a brand strategy lead. And what it was was not a direct sales role, not an engineering role. It was coming to Google be an academic and on the bleeding edge of brand building, work with a global team with a really, really small group of individuals out of the Toronto office, um, but learning from other brand strategists around the world. And so get trained as a Google facilitator, be a consultant within Google, sit with uh, C-suites on business transformation, uh, know the products inside and out, and I was in a really fortunate position to to interview and then get this this role. Yeah, how do you time. how do you pass that up? Yeah, yeah, and it was it was just again it was luck that I got reached out to initially, and it was it was Google at the time, which is one of the more sought after places to work just from a, a culture perspective too. Well, so I, was, I know why, because you had the world class cafeteria. I mean, <laughs> that. Yeah, did you work with my good friend Christos Nikitopoulos? Yeah, of course. Did you yeah, I did. Cross paths. Yes, I love that guy, and he's yeah, he's brilliant as well, and can see you two getting along. But uh, Christos loves a good a good meal, and uh, and when I went to visit him there, he couldn't wait to to show me the cafeteria. It's next level, man. They yeah. you guys got well taken care of there. 
better than better than Roth uh, revenue enterprises here, I'll tell you. I think better than most places. It's uh, it can make you a bit soft though when you work there because you get so <laughs> spoiled. The discussion can be about uh, ah, we haven't had you know this kind of meat for a while for our lunch, or I missed the smoothie for breakfast. I mean, you can get soft pretty fast. Uh, how is it over there? How is it? How does Google compare to the the cafeteria the at, at Juventus? I mean, you must Italy, have a pretty. You must have a pretty good facility. Yeah, there. I mean, Italians take their food pretty seriously. I'd say um, most meals are three to five courses. Uh, here, though, it's it's more common that your work provides this this lunch service. Uh, it, that's not the common, uh, or it wasn't the common uh, uh, approach in in Toronto or North America. And so, yes, here it's very very good. I don't know how people do it. Like my colleagues eat uh, four or five courses at lunch, and I still can't I can't eat a, a big bowl of pasta and then have a secondi and then have the dolce oh. and then be able to work all afternoon. And so yeah. I am, um, I'm, uh, I'm maybe still a little bit Canadian on my approach in the cafeteria, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty nice here. Good. So Google, um, great experience learned, probably worked with some of the brightest, uh, people and, and the, yeah. the, the culture there was, was great. Yeah. You learn a lot from the culture. I mean, the way they train you on, uh, on people management is different from a lot of places. It's it's more about uh, hands off and figure out how to um, get things that are blocking your team out of the way, how to progress their careers. Um, even promotion there is is very different. I mean, it's not a one person show, and so it's a it's a unique place to get a, a cultural experience. Um, I like a lot of the the philosophies that they have. Uh, while I was there, there was a guy named Sam Sebastian, who was the leader of uh, of the country. And I mean, he he always said, uh, choose optimism. And so he was really pushing this notion of of um, the the way you set your mental barometer when you when you arrive every day affects everybody. And um, that that stuck with me from uh, from my time at Google. Mm, um, love that. And then uh, while I was there, uh, another one of your guests on your podcast, no doubt, I I had an introduction to Chris Overholt. And uh, Chris was one of these guys that uh, I have to say I didn't know him. Uh, I'd heard of him. I mean, Chris and I mean, folks like yourself and many others that I've seen on your podcast. I mean, you guys paved the way. You guys were maybe 10 years uh ahead of me in this in the sense of of I, your names that I'd heard of and I knew of and and Chris was one of those uh and uh you know when Chris Overhold asked you for to have a beer and have a chat and you yeah, you have a beer with me. and so uh so I sat with Chris and and he described that he wanted to to build a world leading esports organization in Toronto and he was interested if I would come and join uh right in the early days uh with a handful of employees uh to to build this and uh at the time i i was i have to say i was doing a lot of consulting but i was missing the building i mean at some point in your career you you learn more about like your maslow's hierarchy of needs and for me this like building was something that was there um and uh and so i jumped in with chris i left the comfy cafeteria which was which was difficult <laughs> i had another moment where Everybody told me I was absolutely stupid and crazy because I left this wonderful role and great team and wonderful people and the, all the cafeteria. And then Chris, Chris and I, and I think I was employee six. I mean, we barely had an office. Uh, we, we were in Liberty Village. Uh, we were running around. 
uh, trying to piece together a, a startup. And so as it's exciting was, stuff, though, right? I mean, at that point, esports was already a, that freight train had left the station. So everybody knew this was, uh, you know, such an exciting space. Uh, it, I, I totally get that. And again, to work with the quality that you were associated with totally makes makes sense and build right sounds like again you've got this thing where you enjoy that challenge of of building something you you said early on about being entrepreneurial early in your career before you even started that's coming through right yeah yeah i mean this was like building on steroids it was incredible (laughs) in two in two and a half years I mean, we 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 earned the right to several esports franchises, competing with many other companies um, for rights with Activision Blizzard. We built, I mean, sports brands from zero. Like, uh, what are they called? What's the name? Why would fans care? Uh, and so we built multiple brands. We acquired a company in in Spain called Mad Lions, propelled them into one of the top League of Legends leagues in the world uh helped uh, co-build a csgo league and then uh greenlit the idea of having a uh, a stadium project for the city of toronto and there's more but i mean all that in two and a half years so it was like a build that normally i'd say you do all that in a decade and this was in two and a half years time and in that time we also took the company public and so it was a a really fun time with a great group it was uh, it was full full speed. I mean, as fast as you can go. And so, as a builder, this was like you're building everything. And then, as a startup, you're. Uh, for me, I'd only worked for big companies. I'd worked for the biggest food company, the biggest beer company, oh, Google. Yeah. I mean, big companies. And so, for me personally, to get an experience as a startup, I think everyone should try to have it maybe once if you can, because you learn the importance of of cash flow. I mean, uh, of uh, if I don't have enough cash, we can't pay for our employees. We can't pay to hire people. We can't pay to invest. You sit down with the board members who are investors. They've put their money into the company. And sometimes when you work for a big company, you get your marketing allocation and you respect the money, but you don't respect it as much as you do when you're working for a startup and you're sitting across from the person that's put their cash there. And so um, I'd say I learned a lot also on being thrifty and efficient and uh, smart in a in a startup way. Um, and uh, and so for me, that was a, a tremendous experience. Uh, I, I talk about that in career building. When you get a chance, an opportunity comes your way and if you play your cards right opportunities come your way like they did for you and i was very fortunate as well and each time uh, my advice to anybody now is make sure that that the opportunity you're moving to is going to add to your skill set it's not going to just be a lateral move it don't you know maybe make the the money secondary but the growth and the learning primary and and it sounds like you really were thoughtful uh, in each of your moves uh, to to do that. I love that. I've often talked about. Um, I've enjoyed personally this the the smaller to midsize organizations I've worked at in my career versus the giants because you really feel like you're impacting 
so yeah. much. You're aware of so much. And I don't know, you've you've had your taste of both. Is there a, a perspective on on that? Yeah. The the small, small mid-size are nice because like you said, you 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 grow even more attached. You put so much time into your to your work and your career. And when you work for a smaller company, you feel like you've shaped it because uh, I mean, yeah, I was in marketing and I was the marketing guy, but early on I was in everything because I had to be, it was operations, it was finance, it was out with sponsor pitches, it was assisting with uh, where our headquarters should be. And so you feel more emotionally connected to the, to the company and to the results as you, as you put it. So, um, so yeah, it was a, a wonderful time there as we were going through our, uh, I go public. Um, it was uh, another, I guess, lucky moment. And I had a, a recruiter reach out and said, there's this company called Juventus and uh, we'd be interested in in knowing if you would take the opportunity uh, to interview. And at the time, I mean, I, I, I knew about the company. Juventus is uh, one of the biggest football, sorry, soccer brands worldwide. No, no. Uh, no 150 million plus. Let's be authentic plus. here. Yeah, 150. Yeah, thank you. 150 million plus on uh, on social media. I mean, next this year is the Agnelli family, so the owner of Juventus, 100th year with the club, and so we're actually also one of the oldest family-owned uh, sports organizations worldwide. One of the most winning, and so I, I I knew all this about Juventus. Of course, Ronaldo was, he, was, was there. Was CR7 there? He was there when I started. Yeah, um, because uh, isn't that that's just. I mean, the That's biggest social level. media star in the world. Correct. <laughs> and you talk so, about followers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And one. so this was Juventus. Also, as you said, Italy is not a bad uh, place to, to 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 consider living. Um, but I, I have to say, when I first got the call, um, I was uh, I didn't think much about it. I thought I said to, I joked with my wife and then I said, I mean, I'll go I'll go take an interview. It'll be a learning process, but I have way too much to focus on on my my job at the time. And uh, and I didn't think that I stood a chance, to be honest, because I was there was a global search. It was long. Uh, I was like this this guy from Unionville, Ontario, uh, <laughs> that uh, was working for a startup esport company that probably Juventus uh, may or may not have heard about. So. So I didn't take it that seriously at first. And then um so there's a little bit of healthiness to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then it, it worked out. And and for my for my family, it was a it was a big de- big decision, uh, both both for me professionally, because I I still to this day feel very connected to overactive. But then on the family side, it was it was COVID was still on. And so it was like my wife, I remember saying, How are we gonna get our one year old? That's right. I was 21, right? Yeah. So at the time I had a a six-year-old and a one-year-old and it was, how do you get the one-year-old onto a plane and then find a house without being bad parents and exposing And when we all know Italy took the brunt of it at the beginning, right? And it was, it was was pre the vaccinations. And so we had that dynamic as well to wrestle with, but uh, we, we took the chance. And so it's not for everybody. I mean, moving to a new country, where the language that's spoken isn't um, isn't yours in a in a, a new role uh, with two young kids. I mean, that's a that's a, a an adventurous move. How, how, how about talk about your wife and that? Like, was she was there a lot of convincing? You know, uh, the your partner because she she knew you're going to take a demanding job. She's got a six and a one. You know, yeah. a lot's going to fall on her. 
Um, was she on board pretty early or was that uh, tough? Yeah, I mean, we had lots of conversations, probably over some over uh, bottles of Italian wine, but uh, <laughs> but we, um, for us, I think in the end, what it came down to, both of us felt that if we didn't take the risk or the chance, potentially we regret it later on. Um, because That's also great. as as the kids get older, they they get more locked in or attached oh, yeah. to their Now's school the system, time. their ecosystem. Yeah. And so we also looked at it and said, okay, um, the kids aren't fully attached yet. Our parents also aren't so, so old yet. And so if there's a window uh, to take a chance, then that was the window. And uh, I mean, awesome. in the end, that was it uh, for, for us being honest. Um, but, uh, and so now I'm, I'm at Juventus. I've been there for a year and uh, 10 months and uh, I oversee, I'm a chief marketing and communications officer. Yeah, so brand new, congrats on is, the expanded portfolio as of, as of a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as of actually about the, the communications part. Yes, yes. yes. but, yeah. uh, marketing but the the uh, the marketing side, I, I oversee all the, the media, uh, the brand marketing, the product function, uh, innovation, uh, data and CRM. And then on the communication side, it's the sports press office, the corporate communications and then the public relations. And so it's uh, a job that that keeps me keeps me busy uh, and uh, and I've got a great team. So I'm a, a fortunate guy. Yeah, that's awesome. What a journey. Um, the, the communication side seems like a, a little bit different than some of the previous work you've done. Um, what what led to you know that opportunity and 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 what's what are you leaning into the most like what's been surprising about because you've got a ton of marketing brand development experience uh it's a little bit different right the, the, the communication definitely. side definitely the i mean what what led to it was uh, ultimately juventus got to a point where they felt that we needed to try to have uh, one voice for the company and one strategy on on company voice uh, and strategic positioning with regards to who Juventus is. And so as opposed to having multiple departments um, taking their their own point of view on voice was to try to unify it all together. And so um, what I've I'm learning a lot right now, I'd say I'm, I'm very new to it in Italy, especially in f football and as Juventus. Um, the media writes about absolutely everything. Like it's not like anything I've seen in North America. If Juventus sneezes wrong on Instagram on a post or slightly wrong, it's on the front page of the newspaper the next day. <laughs> so the the media relations side is something new that I'm I'm learning, um, and so that's a that's a, that's a journey for sure that I'm I'm taking right now. On the corporate communications and the public affairs side, I find it's closer tied in to, to marketing because it's it's stakeholder management, really. It's how do yeah. you improve the company's reputation across all of our stakeholders. And the stakeholders are, uh, of course, fans, but also their investor relations, their uh, the uh, press community, their our internal employees, but really it's stakeholder management and reputation management. And so they're closer ties to marketing there. But the the day-to-day sports press office side is is definitely new to me and in italy uh it's uh, very interesting just how much gets written about a top football club uh on a daily basis so it, it keeps me very very tuned into the media 
Well, you've hit on one of the questions I was going to get to, which is like working in a new culture of football mad part of the world is such a storied franchise. And 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 I, I take from that the emotions are so high everywhere. Uh, they, they, it matters. It's part of the fabric. It's like, you know, the Leafs in Toronto, the Habs in Montreal, and and uh, I'm sure football in many, many parts of, of England. Um, it's, uh, you know, what have there been any any surprises? Uh, it's, it's still it's under two years. What what yeah. challenges, surprises, uh, pleasant, otherwise uh, love to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, to your last point, I mean, I, I, I sometimes feel and actually have friends who say I'm like the Ted Lasso in, in Italy because <laughs> I'm, I'm like totally uh, uh, not from this from this world. Yeah. Um, the football fans. So you've here, got a few corny euphemisms. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Believe is like a big, uh, big, uh, you know, slogan I'm pushing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, here they're they're so fanatical. I mean, even like me moving into this new role was like a discussion. So my name, the marketing guy, is in social media with the fan community. <laughs> I mean, who cares? I mean, is my reaction. But here, it's it's very. Uh, it's talked about and so it's a uh, it's it's totally different it's uh like a fan at at an extreme um in terms of i've learned lots of things since since being here i mean you made the comment about food earlier i, I learned very early on that lunch is important uh, and it's more than just the eating um there is a uh, a lot of i'd say getting to know one another building trust that uh, I'd say in North America, and I, I I looked into some research on this afterwards, trust is given quicker in North America. Uh, in different parts of the world, you earn trust at a different pace. And mm, so in Italy, yes, you don't earn trust as fast as you do in uh, Canada or the US. Uh, and so early on, I'd say I, I needed to really focus on, okay, how, as a Ted Lasso, <laughs> how can I earn trust, um, which is, simple but it was uh, i mean simple to say but but it, it wasn't an easy thing no but for but, a guy um, who's who's got a high eq and and is very aware self-aware like you and externally aware i think that comes a little bit more naturally there would be many people who would come in i think about others i've talked to on this podcast who have gone overseas and you could see how it, it could work for them because they got similar qualities. Dave Hopkinson, when he was with Real Madrid and Keith Pelly with the DP World Tour, you know, the, you're all people who who are just wired the right way to be able to go in and read the room and figure out that I can't come in and be a bull in a China shop, right? Yeah. It's not going to work. Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, right right now, I'd say that the, the biggest challenge that I'm trying to learn on is if you look at the the soccer industry or football industry in Europe, it's going through a massive transformation. I mean, I think sport around the world is. And so what I was brought here to do is to help Juventus coming after Ronaldo, coming after many years of winning, uh, retool and uh, transform the business to be um, at more of a bleeding edge pace with the new consumer. Um, Juventus is uh, the number one brand in Italy. Uh, it's one of the biggest in in the world, but um, but we really need to look at how we grow with uh, with young audiences, and so I'm sure that's a, a common thread amongst anyone who works in sports, but especially in football in Europe. 
And so I'm I'm learning a lot about the fans here, but also um, meeting with a lot of people to figure out just new ways to engage like this this young audience. That's that's a big challenge right now. That's that, a big part of your I'm mandate. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And and it's tricky when when you're winning. That has a really wonderful halo. You you know wasn't the the best year. I looked at where you finished on the table. Your goal differential wins were good, but too many losses, and you finished you know what sixth or seventh. But um, marketing has to keep going, right? Uh, yeah. You don't have the benefit of just everybody feeling euphoric. So what's that? Has that been a an interesting dynamic of you know the 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 maybe the fans are not and the media are not uh, loving uh, what the club's doing on the pitch? Yeah, I'd say I've I've had an interesting experience over the last uh, year because we've had pretty much every headwind you could have thrown at us. We've had uh, our board of directors that have had to leave the company. We've had uh, uh, alleged uh, legal and financial scandals. We've had a point deduction, which brought us down to the place that you mentioned. Uh, we have had a, a tough team with in, with injuries. So we brought in a star player last last summer, Pogba, and he yeah. got injured right away, and he barely played all season. And so yeah, I was looking at numerous injuries. You guys got Pogba? I didn't even yeah. know that. Yeah. One of the biggest, uh, at least on football. social media, names uh, in in football right now. And so we we had last year. I I, I had a, a full team meeting recently, and I said, guys, if we can get through the last year, we can get through anything. And I would wager that. The last year, no one on my team will see in their entire careers because it's not often that from a crisis perspective, Everything. you check every box. <laughs> we checked every box, every box you could possibly imagine. And so the last year to be able to to do what we have done, and I mean, I can go into that a little bit, but um, it's uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the team for just what we've accomplished despite these uh, these challenges that we've been been faced with. Um, and so, um, so we've been, yeah, we've been quite busy. Good, good. Yeah, a little, a little bit of crisis um, can really pull a team together and, uh, and um, you know, force some different thinking, some innovation. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, when things are good, it, you know, sometimes you could take your foot off the gas a little bit. So it's been probably a maybe you know in a strange way a, a really good indoctrination because from here hopefully it's just you know upwards um but yeah, we, um we've, we've been building a lot of the like the fundamentals i'd say in the last little while like we in the last year we built a, a production studio we shot uh, a documentary and we sold it to amazon prime totally mm. internal uh, no one in european football has done that most bring the outside company to come in and do it. And so right now, in the time that we're in, we're focusing on building a lot. Again, back to the theme of building, where we've built a, a content production hub called uh, Juventus Creator Lab. It's a new form of uh, a production lab. It's not like a traditional sports desk where you've got like the guy or, or woman that stands behind it that's very stereotypical. We've built essentially like a, almost like an LA style media lab uh, or gamer hub and we're building content in new ways. And so whether it's content that we've built and sold to Amazon or um, uh, TikTok mini series uh, or um, for our own Juventus TV channel, uh, we're building uh, a new internal production capability. Uh, and then, I mean, I, we're building a new capabilities on the business intelligence and the data side, which uh, probably bore, bore everybody if I spoke about that. 
um, uh, but a lot of building right now. And so um, to your point, I think when you win a lot and you've got big stars, maybe you don't have to build as much. And so yeah. right now, I'm uh, I'm building a lot of what I believe are capabilities that sports organizations need in the year that we're in. How did you and and are you okay if we bleed yeah, past? Of okay, yeah, sorry, yeah. it's uh, it's, it's no, no, uh, we we did a we did too long a preamble before we jumped in. So my bad, but uh, I love this. Um, you talked about identifying the need to connect with, and we're going to come back to mentors, but um, talked about the need to connect with a younger audience. You've inherited a, a, a storied franchise that's got a mature fan base. And like all sports, as you said, getting that younger audience is so important uh, to sustainability. Um, love hearing some of content, obviously, is such a key part of that strategy. Platforms like streaming platforms, TikTok, social media. Um, what was the process to get there when you landed? Was that something that was like, hey, Mike, this is priority one, or was there a, a discovery process you went through to say, I, I think here's some areas we need to play, um, and then and then mapping out a strategy to to get there. Yeah, we um, I'd say as as part of the recruitment process, I had to pitch my thoughts on mm. where Juventus needed to go. And so I, I had my assumptions, but I didn't want to make assumptions when I joined. And so the first three months, I just I sat and spent lots of time listening to everybody. I didn't make very many immediate changes. Um, once I got through that, we shifted into a three year planning process. And so that was perfect for me because it was OK. Now let's draft what the company needs to do to be successful in the next three years. And so as part of that process, that's where I defined with my team essentially what the priorities were and therefore what we needed to do and what we needed to build. And so that's essentially the the process that that we went through uh, soon after I joined. Talk about the team briefly. So you've got who 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 are your reports? Yeah, so I've got uh, uh, reports that sit within brand marketing, um, media, uh, product, uh, data, CRM, press office. And then uh, corporate communications and uh, and press relations. Okay, so about six, six, seven direct reports, which is a healthy amount. And are are a bunch of those new now? Yeah, a few, a few. Like uh, I think when you when we built the plan, there were there was definitely a needs assessment on okay, some of these functions we need to build. We just we don't have the people internally to do it, and so. I, I'd say I've hired quite a bit on the content That's and production side. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, I am the current head of digital media was one of my first hires. He's ex Red Bull Media House, ex uh, Milan Media House, uh, ex DAZN, and so he's like mm. this guy that's that's built for for media that's and for cool. digital media, and he's he's a bit of a trailblazer in terms of his approach. And so um, so he and I have a lot of the same views. Uh, we have had a lot of success at at hiring young people who are actually influencers themselves or who know these social platforms inside and out. So as opposed to having like a website editor go and tackle uh, Instagram or TikTok, let's go and hire someone that is a TikTok influencer already and have them run the channel. Um, actually, one guy we hired, um, he built Juventus's biggest Instagram fan account. And, and so it was like a 2 million fan account on Instagram built as a 21 year old by himself 
as a side project. And I remember our, our the Juventus uh, uh, legal team had been like uh, made note of this guy because he was, you know, he was using uh, Juventus IP. Like, yeah. And yeah, uh, the brand. Yeah. And my approach was like, here's a really resourceful young guy. And so let's not get upset. I mean, he's a Juventus fan and he's doing it's like, a good catch thing. Catch me if you can. And it's like and, hire, uh, hire the hacker and or the, 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 the <laughs> yeah. And and now he's now he's inside Juventus. He's uh, living hopefully what what's his dream job and and his numbers are amazing. And what so a sellout. what a sellout he is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've done this a few times where we've put just on the content side, that. the right people in the right role, which again is not rocket science at all. But if you take people who are endemic to the space and then let them go, then um, often you can't go wrong is what I find. And so a lot of hires on that side. Yeah. Did you, you know, just just before we leave that topic of of, of leadership and hiring, I'm sure you 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 mentioned uh, some of the people you've worked with and and this the philosophy of surrounding yourself with diversity of opinion and thought and background and and just hiring great people and not being afraid of who might end up pushing you aside at some point and just who will make make who's just right for the job just just this bold courageous intelligent hiring um you know it sounds like you really embrace that and maybe you had exposure to that you know yeah and i mean sometimes you sometimes i find you also you want to hire the the troublemaker i was going to say shit disturber but like yeah. sometimes you want to hire that person you don't want a whole team of them but you want to hire and have maybe one or two because the mix the petri dish of of people that you work with works better that way and so uh sometimes Love i find it. i try to take some risks with hires um which yeah sometimes work and sometimes don't, yeah. um, but to hire those individuals that in the state that I think we're in and, and football's in, you need to transform, you need to hire some people that think really different. And so we've made a few of those hires as well. Good on you, good on you. Um, so, uh, you know, let's let's um, let's stay with this uh, uh, for a sec. So, you know, we talked about your role, how it came up, your mandate, uh, the culture. What what excites you? I mean, obviously, um, you talked about just leaning in and and bringing in a new wave of younger fans, but there's so much going on. I love the content, and on the content, before we address what excites you about the future, there is this wave. I just finished binging and I can't get enough of, uh, couldn't get enough of it. Now I'm all in on Tour de France, which is going on, right? Tour de France Unchained on Netflix. You know, we know Drive to Survive. We've seen how tennis, the ATP, WTA, and and, and then PGA have leaned in on this. Um, so clearly there's something going on in the world of sports by creating this, the, this content, putting it out there and attracting fans that way. And I, you you've done that with this this series uh, that you created and put out for Amazon. Um, have you seen any results yet? Or like, uh, uh, what led you into that? And have you seen yeah. any results? Yeah, I mean, to your point, um, based on my I'd say brand marketing background, I started with research, and so when I joined, I had a lot of questions I didn't have answered because it was a new industry, and again, I didn't want to make assumptions. I um, found uh, some interesting research on what attracts people to a football club. And the answer used to be 
your parents. Like your parents were a, a, a Juventus fan, and so you had to be a Juventus fan. Um, or it was a player. That's what attracted you to the club. But now, amongst Gen Alpha, Gen Z, content is the number one thing that attracts people to follow a club, which is a powerful statement. Also, that audience is less loyal, so they're willing to move around. They're willing to follow players around. And so you really have to focus on uh, storytelling to be better than every other team and entertainment uh, vehicle <laughs> that's out there. And so that's why when I joined and I did the research, I did an assessment, I thought content needs to be the first place that we start because we can impact it the quickest. And the research shows it's the number one driver of new fans coming in. And so that's why um, this year, for instance, we've driven 2 billion more views in this past season than the year before. So that's going from a, uh, from a, a 2 billion views to a 4 billion views in one year. Um, in December, we didn't play any matches. And in December, we had one of the highest engagement, absolute engagements and highest videos watched in the history of Juventus, even with Ronaldo. And we did not play a match, mm. which also points to the fact that content during the match is one thing. And then content around the match being an entertainment company, entertainment brand is also also very interesting to fans. And so um, so we've really well, you, did you uh, say that was a vi highest vi viewed video? Highest, most, uh, one of the most video views and most absolute engagements Juventus has ever had. What, what was including it? Including Ronaldo. It was just how much content we were publishing. And we had some um, Instagram and TikTok videos specifically go viral. And so, um, so gotcha. in a month where we played no football because of the World Cup, we had one of the highest performing months of the history of the company. Have you because found it's a certain type of content that resonates more than others? Just example, I've got some legs as some some hands feet in 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 this, you know, the sports sports news and sports betting content space now. And we've learned through a company I'm involved with that it's not necessarily sports betting insights videos that resonate. It's just the sports debate and you know, the 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 kind of the uh, yeah, I'd say this the the debate, the culture videos that tend to resonate more. But what have you found? What type of content bubbles to the surface? Yeah, we've it depends on the platform a lot. I mean, what I'm trying to do generally for fans is give them more transparency, more visibility, show Juventus they've never seen before. Yeah, and so, feel, and so feel that part of that part of that is me working much more with the sports area to get permissions to have cameras in the in places that they've never been before. Uh, and so that's a, that can be a challenge at any sports organization. When we did uh, the Amazon documentaries, um, that long form content was more built for the core fan that wants to sit and watch a documentary on their TV. I'd say uh, on it, short form on, on Instagram, uh, it's more about what's around the pitch. So like the, the lifestyle, what the players are up to outside of the, the pitch itself. For sure. And then TikTok is more pure entertainment like it's, it's, what's, it's yeah. what's trending on that day and then you hit it at the right time and so like we have someone that just studies every day what's trending and thinks about if juventus can play a natural role within that trend yeah, and then if we can then we go 
And so, and then on YouTube, we're doing more documentaries as well uh, under the new Juventus Creator Lab um, positioning. Um, we're telling more stories about our, our next generation team. So it's our under 23 team, as well as the, the women's team, because uh, Juventus has a, a very strong women's team as well. Love it. I love the thinking by platform, right? There's no one size fits all. Platforms have a life and culture unto themselves. And uh, that's very smart. Um, what uh, excites you about what lies ahead? I'm sure more content and just, just you know, uh, building that uh, Juventus Creative Lab uh, capacity probably is in there, but any other thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I look for inspiration at some of the disruptors of sports right now. And so I get excited about what they're doing and then think about what the implications for Juventus are. So if I look at like what Overtime is doing and Dan Porter, how they're building a, I mean, a competitive basketball league. They launched recently an American Football League. They're launching a basketball or sorry, a boxing uh, under under what was originally an Instagram content channel. It's incredible. And so um, I, I look for inspiration there. Um, Kings League is a, uh, recently built by a company called Cosmos, and they changed like the rules of football. And they have this mashup of uh, PKs behind the Kings League. And so they've got PK, they've got Ibai, who's like a big gaming streamer. And then they have streamers and call it legacy footballers playing football, but in a totally different um, match with different rules. And so something that's so historic and uh, I mean, it's it's like a religion mm. uh, football here. They've disrupted it and they've actually changed the rules and the format. And, and so um, uh, I look at them on the women's side, what uh, Julie Ehrman's done with Angel City FC. I've been fortunate to have some conversations with her and how she's built such a following of a women's team in in LA, um, how they did that. Um, it's uh, it's incredible what what that team's been doing. And so, what excites me is I look at these, I'd say disruptors, disruptors, and then think about how the teams can can take what what lessons Love learned that. from these disruptors and and apply it within. And so that's where I go for for inspiration, where I get most of my excitement. And what I love about that is there's a degree of humility and and modesty, maybe more uh, modesty there that uh, the answers can can lie in so many different places. I'm sure you look at your team that way and you look outside your organization that way. It's not, hey, I have all the answers. I'm expected to have all the answers. We're expected to have all the answers. It's it's let's be inspired and and uh, make something our own and i i really respect that what's been interesting in the world of sports you know golf i worked in the golf business top golf has has disrupted oh, yeah. it right so you look at pickleball right this disruptive sport that's just taken over north america you know there's so many versions of of traditional sports that are starting to to catch on many don't but but uh, select few do and it's it's pretty cool to see these these mashups <laughs> taking place, right? Yeah, and I mean the scary thing I think for all sports, and it's it's something that keeps me um, modest and humble. Is is for me, I simplify it as there's just so many options now for people within the entertainment sphere, and you only have so many minutes in your day, and so probably what that means is people are going to spend less time with 
sports and with the teams that they they follow and support. And so in the less time, how do you really captivate and engage them? It's a really difficult challenge. But for me, it's as simple as just there's so much choice now that uh, the competition is so fierce and it's not uh, Juventus versus AC Milan or Barca or uh, Manchester United. It's a Juventus versus the entertainment category because yeah, that's, that's it. And so for me, that's a an exciting challenge that I think anyone in sport needs to grapple with. Is is uh, w- we don't have the luxury of having a television set with uh, twelve channels that uh, people uh, put on one on Saturday night and that's what they watch. I mean, now it's uh, oh. on twenty four seven in your pocket all the time. And you have to fight for attention, and so that's that's uh, that's a pretty exciting, challenging, and challenge. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, uh, we'll 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 keep mentors for the last part. Uh, sure. But before we wrap uh, uh, with professional development advice and people who've inspired you, just any marketing partnerships that that uh, have stood out uh, along the way, whether it's where you are now or just on the path. That it's hard. This is a you know a, a show about uh marketing partnerships sponsorships uh corporate partnerships so anything you want to share yeah. there would be great sure I'll, I'll i'll stick to uh european football for for now Good. because there's been some that have been uh, uh noticeable for me i mean one is a uh, is what psg did with uh nike and jordan i mean having that on their jersey was like a statement at the time i mean it uh changed at the time, I believe the perception of what a football club is. And so just the simple not using the Nike swoosh, but using a different logo, I think was a powerful, powerful statement. And there's been case studies now on this. So that one hits home. The other is um, I'm really impressed uh, and I don't want to give them compliments because in a way they're (laughs) competitors, but um, Barcelona with the Spotify partnership um, they're able to, through that partnership, connect with um, many, many, many musicians all over the world. And so give their fans the football and then also the musician connection through the Spotify partnership. They also recently did a, a prime sponsorship. Um, and so that connects them to Logan Paul, KSI. And so I, I'm very fascinated by these, and it's probably because of my brand and marketing background, but these these partnerships that allow the brand to stretch into new territories um, while also serving the business need. And so um, for me, I, I quite enjoy those examples. Yeah, the the blending of what I see there is is there are very few true passion um, drivers. Sport is probably at the top of the food chain, but fashion's another one and music is another one, right? And that's what you see there, PSG and fashion um and barca and 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 music and and uh it's it it makes sense and that's something we've noticed for the last 10 15 years is this influ you know influx of music into the world of sports and and how athletes have shown their their personalities through music and and fashion right? yeah and then these these um european football brands i mean in their market they're their market share probably doesn't grow so much. And so like Juventus were number one in the country 
trying to convert someone who's an Inter or an AC Milan fan to a Juventus fan is like a mission impossible. And so most of our growth needs to Timely be external. coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of our growth needs to be external. Most people don't know Juventus 150 million on social, 93% outside of Italy. And oh, so wow. like we're we're much higher uh, a global brand than we are an Italian brand, but we need ways to connect with people out also outside of our core, which is which is football. We can't lose the core, but things like music and fashion allow us to stretch. Yeah. And so um so I like that strategy. Awesome. Um, so let's let's wrap with mentors and professional development advice. You mentioned some people in your career journey, but you know who who do you think of as inspirations and mentors along the way that helped really? You know, listen, you have yourself to. Ultimately, it's on you, but uh, you've been exposed to some some pretty cool people too. Yeah, no, I think. Um... You're, you're nothing without the mentors along the way. I've been so lucky uh, when I think about the people. Um, I'd say at the start, John Ozakisler, I'm not sure if you know his name. Yeah. He was a guy who, I mean, when I was lost out of school, total nobody, he was the guy who first, I'd say, gave me a chance on the on the advertising side. I learned from John very early on, like, it's obvious, but I mean, business is people. In the end, business is people. And John understood people. I saw him build strong teams. Uh, I saw him and watched and listened to him as he negotiated. And so I'd say very early on, um, John gave me a, the first chance. And so I, I learned a lot of a lot about the the people side of business from John. Uh, Jim uh, uh, Kozak, of course. Uh, I mean, both at Kraft and then CBC. Um, he too, I'd say, was a was a builder by nature. Um, I also like reflect, and once I got to know Jim a bit better, I, I saw how he balanced uh, work and family, like uh, the the time that he would devote to his two daughters and his wife, and how like that was the number one for him. But he was also a hard worker, and I I took a lot uh, personally away from seeing how he navigated that because you would know uh, it's it's difficult to do both well. Um, and Jorn was like this, uh, brilliant guy at, uh, at ABI that I learned a ton from. Um, and then of course, more recently, I think with Chris, uh, Chris Overholt, he helped me a lot on, um, not in a, an explicit way. Like it was never, this is what you need to do, but just more by observing and listening with Chris, I feel like I learned how to be more of an executive and less of a brand manager. Like how do you move from a, a brand manager to a CMO or to a, a leader? Lead? And so I think uh, with with Chris, I learned more of the, the capabilities and the styles and the approach and how to motivate people. Um, and so when I go through that list, I and there's lots and lots more. I, um, I mean, Allison Walker joined as well at Overactive while I was there near the end. And so I'm very, very fortunate um, in terms of the the mentors, leaders, uh, bosses that I've had uh, along the way. Have you caught up with Chris uh, since his yeah. visit to New York? Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris well. uh, Hopkinson as well from time to time yeah. on the WhatsApp. But uh, I mean, up. yeah, those guys are are going to do amazing things. Uh, but um, they just launched the Sphere project in Vegas, which uh, looks. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Dominating my Instagram. I know. Feed. I, know I can't stop looking at it. It's uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah, me That's too. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so people, you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you. And oh. we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here on, on this um, wonderful career, people who get to where you are. And there's so much more. You're such a young guy. It's exciting. I'm, I'm excited for you and what lies ahead. Uh, you know, anybody listening who aspires to have a, a career like Mike Armstrong, what, what, what's the advice? So I'd say first for me, um, it's clear that I I jumped around and some people can look at that as a, as a negative and I see the downsides to that and others can see it as a positive. For me, I think it's important that when you feel your learning plateau and you you touched on this earlier, you have to do something right away because you're hurting yourself. If in your career you're in a position and your learning is plateauing, you have to address it. And it doesn't mean you need to leave the company, but you need to address it. And so I uh, I was tough. I was probably tough on my employers too, in that uh, when I felt that my learning was plateauing, like I attacked that because for me, <laughs> awesome. that was really important. And that didn't mean promotion, to be explicitly clear. I was never someone that was asking or seeking a promotion. I was head down, work hard, and if they see what I'm doing, I'll get it when I deserve it. Absolutely. So I want to make sure I differentiate that. Um, the second is um, I, maybe it was because I played so much sports when I was younger, but I approach business with an athlete mindset. And probably that's a, a common said thing too, but every week, every almost day, I mean, I read everything. And so mm. I, I listen to all the podcasts I can put in my ear. I, I, I read the industry news. I, I uh, educate myself constantly. And I think in the world that we're in where everything's changing so fast that it's not enough, unfortunately, to go and do your day job and then not be an athlete outside of work. Um, and it's a bit embarrassing to say, but I even on days that I know I have an important board meeting, business meeting, like I prep for those days like an athlete. I yeah. get up early and go for a run in the morning. I eat the right breakfast. I prepare yeah. for those moments. And so um, for me, that's that's worked. Uh, it's not for everybody, but um, those would be my two advice. Yeah, there's uh, as athletes says, every great athlete will tell you, Jordan, Brady, all the greats, Gretzky, there's no shortcut to success, right? You got to put in the work. That's what I take away from what you said. That's... Um, Wonderful, but I love how you you brought it down to a tangible, like here's exactly what I do, here's how I prepare, I attack. Um, you know, uh, it's it's uh, pretty pretty inspiring stuff. So, listen, um, awesome chat. So glad we did this. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Gavin.